Chapter 4 The Grand Pause Back in the front seat of my car, I set about making a wardrobe change. Although I have not perfected the near-instant phone booth costume transformation like Clark Kent to Superman, I have, over the years, become quite proficient at changing clothes in the limited space in the front seat of my car. Being a trail runner, most of the trailheads that I disembark from do not feature private restroom amenities, or amenities at all to speak of, and I've had to adapt. The majority of my weekly training runs take place during lunch breaks at work, and I will usually change out of my office attire into minimalist running clothes in the five-minute drive to the nearest park that has running trails. This time, though, I sit idle in the front seat of my car and quickly strip out of my church clothes and into something more comfortable. A pair of khaki shorts and a long-sleeve race shirt adorned with a logo of a turkey trot race that I competed in a few years ago. Once into my casual wear, I ignite the engine and begin the 18-minute drive to the state park. Along the way, I observe very little in the way of people moving around, other than the traffic coming from the interstate. The small town of Trenton, Georgia, appears to be slowly ambling around in league with the overcast skies. The city's website touts itself as a serene, fertile valley that can easily play host to a rollicking family vacation. Looking around, I find it difficult to track that sense of a vibrant community. As my eyes continue to scan my surroundings, I notice a few parks, a school, some restaurants, and several old homes along the roadside. Although the beauty of the topography is apparent, the infrastructure seems less so. Maybe December is an off time for them. As I start up the lower levels of the ascent to Lookout Mountain, the beauty of the area begins to take hold. Before long, my car's engine is humming loudly, its RPMs revving high to maintain speed on the steep climb. Peering to my left, my eyes are met by a sheer cliff face, while on my right, the town of Trenton becomes an expansive, wide-open valley, the sereneness taking hold. Halfway up the mountain, I pull over at an overlook area to take in my surroundings. One of the benefits of traveling without my kids of this trip is that I am able to take my time and explore areas that I would not normally be able to. In this case, I slowly ease my body to the edge of the steep drop-off and look down at the city where I just come from. The weather is cloudy. I cannot make out much more than the city itself and the interstate, where cars are continuously whizzing by. I take in a deep breath of moist mountain air. The smell of damp earth and forest invades my nostrils. Even though I was raised in Florida and am a self-certified beach bum in the summer months, I am frequently drawn to visit mountainous areas like this place. There is a sense of perspective that I feel I get by standing on some high peak that is hard to find anywhere else. Looking up at the mountain, the evidence of winter's imminent arrival in this area is clear. Most of the trees in my surroundings have lost their leaves, giving me a clear view up the mountain, where I can see enormous boulders peppering the mountainside for hundreds of yards in every direction. I'll be running on terrain like that? Wow. Scattered among the thick forest, these protrusions of sandstone and shale are not something I am used to back home, not to mention the sheer steepness of the cliffs themselves. The view here further illuminates just how daunting the course will be. I think back to my reasoning for picking the race. The race is supposed to be challenging, but also scenic in a way that most people, especially myself, would not normally experience in more traditional races. The race website hooks runners to the event with the tagline, You will pass massive waterfalls, jaw-dropping open views of valleys, and a sunrise as far as you can see into the horizon. 
Apart from the stunning sunsets, the former attractions are for sure something I do not get back home. As I finish my scenic break, I take a few photos and depart for the park once again. A few quick minutes later, I make the 90 degree turn into the park entrance, where I am greeted by the park attendant, who is standing vigilantly in a small brown and green building processing park passes and doling out park maps to eager visitors. After a pleasant exchange with the attendant, I pull forward onto the main entrance road into the park and am greeted all around by a dense forest of rich autumn-colored hickory, oak, and pine trees. My vision is flooded with every different shade of green, brown, and orange imaginable. Unfolding the map as I drive, I try to get my bearings on where it is I'm heading to. The race, organized by Run Bum Tours, is offering pack and pickup this afternoon, as well as tomorrow at the Group Lodge building, which is to serve as a start and end point for the race. Run Bum Tours, in addition to hosting the 50K that is taking place on Sunday, is also hosting a 50-mile ultra-marathon and 13.1-mile half-marathon, both of which had started earlier today. Rather than wait until tomorrow morning and be under pressure to get to the venue on time, I had decided to knock that task out this afternoon and then take a scenic walk to explore some of the race course to get a better idea of what I will be up against. I drive for what seems like to be a mile, getting ever deeper into the park. In my mind, I begin to wonder where exactly it is this canyon will appear, and just how majestic the views will turn out to be. Only three months before, I had experienced a similar feeling when my family and I were visiting the Grand Canyon National Park in Arizona. In a rental van, tightly packed with two weeks worth of luggage and three children, my wife and I drove several hundred miles from the airport in Phoenix, Arizona, to the beautiful red rock areas of Flagstaff and Sedona then eventually to the Grand Canyon Village on the outskirts of the South Rim section of the park. As we drove through the ranger station, we began to wonder just how magnificent the canyon would be compared to all of the pictures and videos we had seen on the web and TV. We had a hard time imagining that such an enormous crater would open up before us when we were surrounded by such lush forest. Then, in an instant, the world disappeared and opened to a massive, sprawling canyon that could only be described as epic. Even my two-year-olds were astonished at the view as the world around us dropped out below as far as the eye could see. In the car now, I wonder how this little Grand Canyon will compare. After passing the campground area and several service roads, I finally make it to the turn for the group lodge that is, according to the map, just around a steep bend in the road. As I am turning, I notice a sign that says, To Overlook Trail and Waterfalls. That's where I want to be heading next. Pulling into the parking lot of the group lodge, several empty cars litter the open meadow surrounding the building. A few pedestrians are ambling around, and there are several tents set up that I can only imagine how support crews for individual runners. This is serious. As I depart my car and walk toward the group lodge to check in, I notice other runner-looking types standing around and am reminded of how many times I have been in a situation like this before. I have competed in hundreds of races and events throughout my life. And for a good while in my late high school and early adulthood years, I had it in my mind that athletics and competing in running events would actually be the sum total of my life goals and desires. As I am about to enter the group lodge, I notice several boxes filled with race day swag and awards. In my youth, winning was all that had been of importance to me when it came to running. My, how the years have changed me. When I was 12 years old, I first began my foray into running. My mom had this rule growing up, that my brother and I could not play competitive sports until we were at least in the sixth grade. To this day, she has never really given us a reason for this rule, 
other than she did not want us going out and getting hurt. At the time, this bewildered my brother and I to no end, but as a parent now, I can see where she was coming from. I think she did this out of love, wanting not only to protect us from injury, with contact sports like football, but also to make sure that we had time to be kids, and not have to worry about complex sports practices and schedules. In my small town, sports were all their age, and Friday night football games were the pinnacle of entertainment. As kids, my brother and I wanted to be out playing football and baseball with the other area kids in the various peewee and youth sports leagues. Alas, though, we had to wait until the sixth grade. When I finally did hit the sixth grade, that meant for me the beginning of a new school, new classes, and the opportunity to start to start playing sports. The whole process of starting after-school sports coincided with the beginning of junior high and was a particularly stressful time for me. Fortunately, as the youngest child, I was able to learn from my older siblings who gave me some of the tips and tricks of navigating between classes, going from one classroom a day to seven different ones, having a locker, and being on the same campus as high schoolers. They were huge. While that was intended while that was intimidating, what I was most excited about during that school year was the opportunity to play sports. By this time, I did not have a love for any of the major sports like football, basketball, or baseball like many of my peers. I remember feeling that those were sports that were just too popular. Plus, my cousins were already better at those sports than me growing up. I wanted to do something different. Essentially, once past those major sports, there was but one option left that my school offered, track and field. When the spring semester started, I went out for the track and field team. I quickly found out that because we did not have many participants, no one was going to be cut from the team, especially distance runners. This was good news for me, as I knew that I was not a very fast runner. However, from playing around over the years, I felt I could be able to be a decent distance runner. I still remember the last day that I had before beginning my first track practice. I was walking through the woods, exploring, trying to clear my mind, an activity that I still partake in even today, debating in my head whether I should run track in the first place. The idea of sacrificing two hours of my after-school time to exercise instead of playing in the woods with my toys or watching my favorite TV shows seemed like an uneven trade-off. This was a major decision for a kid. I did not know it then, but by going ahead with track and field that following day, I would set myself down a path that would drastically alter my life for the better. It set me on a positive habit that would still be ever-present in my life. After making the decision to commit, I began the next day. Admittedly, I was terrible at first. In races, I competed in the mile and two-mile events, and usually came in either last place or very close to last, being several minutes behind the winner. I considered a race a success when I managed not to be lapped by the race leaders. The only thing I had going for me was a natural talent for being able to suffer the distance of the longer races. However, the speed and strength that was needed to really be a competitor was something that I would have to work incredibly hard for. One major reason for this was that I was what most people would consider a late bloomer, I remember not having armpit hair until well into the ninth grade, while my other classmates had full armpit hair and even mustaches, while I struggled to find my peach fuzz. Further, my quad, calf, and hamstring muscles did not begin taking shape and developing until after my 11th grade year of high school. Even so, I was determined to be on the team and do my best. Over the next few years of middle and high school, I had a love-hate relationship with running. I loved the aspect of getting outside and running for the way it made me feel, but the rigidness of the competition and the track itself made me not enjoy the sport very much. I remember seriously considering giving up running in the 10th grade. I had been overworking myself with summer basketball and then rolled right into cross country and regular basketball season at the same time. I remember seriously considering giving up running in the 10th grade. 
I had been overworking myself with summer basketball and then rolled right into cross country and regular season basketball at the same time. For about four months there, my schedule was slammed with schoolwork during the day and after school activities for a few hours in the afternoon. At the end of those two seasons, I was wiped. I made the decision at the end of those seasons to not do track and field and abstain from the first few practices in the spring. At the time, I had become really good friends with a classmate of mine and he was doing track for the first time. He was so excited to be doing the sport and would give me updates on the first week of practices, telling me all about the people running that year. After listening to this for about two weeks, he finally convinced me to give track another try. After getting approval from the coach, who happily welcomed me back, I went out to my first practice with a slight chip on my shoulder. This was a pivotal moment in my life, and without having my friend to convince me to do so, I'm not sure if I would ever have gone back to track and field. In my 10th and 11th grade years of high school, I was beginning to have some success at running, and even made it to the state finals in track and cross country. I entered the final race of my 11th grade year, the state finals, as a hopeful competitor. I remember thinking that I had a shot to place on the podium, and that I could do well in the race. In reality, I was a scrawny and naive kid who had little chance. The race was held on an abandoned horse ranch in Dade City, Florida, against about 300 or so runners. I was overwhelmed at the sheer number of runners and spectators there. When the five-kilometer race started, I was quickly swallowed up by the field of runners. I can still remember the cacophony of footsteps plodding along the path, a stampede of young testosterone. The sound was incredibly loud, something that I had never experienced before. I ended up finishing in 37th place, almost three full minutes behind the winner. It was such a shock to my ego, pride, and athleticism that I was kind of depressed over it for quite some time. My hopeful thoughts prior to the race had been shattered by my own lack of ability to run as fast as my competitors. In my 11th grade track and field season, like in cross country, I once again qualified for the state finals. And, like in cross country, I was decimated by the competition coming in next to last place. I was defeated again. It was not a good feeling for me. I desired to be better. Not only because I wanted to beat the other competitors, but I wanted to prove to myself that I could do something I found to be meaningful. That I could set my eyes on a goal, train for it, and then execute my plan. From then on, I knew that if I wanted to be at the top of level, I would have to train much harder. The seed was planted then to really take running seriously. Going into my senior year of high school, I wanted to see how good I could get. I was tired of getting smoked by so many runners. From here, I started to shift away from many of my fanboy pastimes and rock and roll music exploration to begin zeroing in on becoming the best runner I could be. My only identity up until this point how my peers saw me, and how I viewed myself, had been the shy, nerdy kid. In my mind, I felt I could be the super athlete guy. It would take me another full year from this moment to really start gaining any traction in that arena. During that time, it was a school of hard knocks to determine what my optimum level of training should be and figuring out what foods I responded well to. After track season ended, though, I took a break from running and shifted my focus to my schoolwork to get me through the rest of the semester. In the last few weeks before school let out, for what would be my last summer vacation of high school, I found myself in my track coach's classroom, chatting about the previous season and the potential of a summer running schedule. Even though I had been beaten down that year during both running seasons, I wanted to press on. It was here that I learned about the Amateur Athletic Union Track League. I was excited for this opportunity because it meant that I could train during the summer, which is something that I had never done successfully before and it would mean that I had something to look forward to in the races themselves. During this time, 
I also discovered some running magazines that my coach had laying around in his classroom for students to read whenever they had a break. I remember being intrigued by one of the covers, a man shown to be running in barefoot sandals. Upon turning to the first article, I began reading voraciously. I couldn't believe there was an entire magazine edition dedicated to the topic of running. I had never thought running could be that pervasive and that it was something that people could do as a hobby. I learned about some of the top athletes of the time and individual people's stories that were not professionals but had a unique perspective on running because it changed their life in some way. My mind was open to a whole new world and it was wonderful. I took several magazines home with me that day and soon after signed up to start receiving them in the mail myself. The premier, ti- the premier titles at the time were The Running Times and Runner's World magazine, and each issue featured articles on how to train, race, think while running, and highlighted stories from people who ran for fun, far out. The magazines were a great motivating factor for me, as they showcased people who thought in a way like mine. The magazines allowed me to establish a connection to other like-minded individuals and filled a gap that I felt was lacking from my family and classmates. It was also here that I started to develop a connection with running for health and wellness. It seemed that running may not only be good just for competition. Going into the summer, I had a slew of new running tactics to try and new idols to look up to. For the magazines, I learned about the elite running athletes at the time like Galen Rupp, Dathan Ritzenhain, and Shalane Flanagan, and began following the professional running circuit. Previously, all my running knowledge and interest was focused solely on the physical side of the sport. Now, I had access to whole new avenues to explore. Running began to consume my life through television, books, and magazines, thereby sparking the embers that remain after those crushing defeats earlier in the year. When school let out for the summer vacation, it was an odd experience. This was going to be my last summer vacation as a high school student, and potentially my last one ever. Summer vacation had always been a highlight in my life. When I was in the world of high school, all I could think about was the endless cycle of Monday through Friday school days, and then desperately longing for the weekends. I was caught up in the school system and did not think much beyond that routine as it was something I had gotten used to. Going into that summer, I had not made any plans for college or figured out what I wanted to do after high school. The only future I could envision involved running competitively in some way. I tried to avoid those thoughts as much as I could for fear of the unknown. Although I tend to think fondly of my high school experiences, in hindsight, I do notice how the public school system often is not relative to actual life experiences. I was one of those students for whom, at least while I was in it, the academic part of school I enjoyed. I had become so accustomed to going to school that I was not sure how I would function outside of the school system. I took it as a challenge to learn a new concept for a test or an assignment, and then was very good at regurgitating that information for a test. This skill of regurgitating, or having a photographic memory, has served me well over the years, but left my mind wondering if I could do anything else. For all my limitations, overall, I feel that my high school did help me prepare for my life ahead. Before I could begin that journey, though, I had one summer in my senior year ahead of me. After school had let out for break, I had been running a little bit to try and maintain fitness, but was not training officially, as I had been really enjoying the much-needed rest and relaxation during those first few weeks. When practice began in earnest for the summer season, I was far out from being in top shape. To me, this was a good thing because it is satisfying to be able to track your progress over time and see how much you can improve. Our scheduled track practices took place in mid-afternoon during the heat of the day, making workouts even more arduous. We had practices three days a week, which meant if I was going to succeed, 
I would have to do a lot of training on my own. This was a new concept for me, as up until that point, essentially all my running had been done in a controlled environment, either after school during practices, during races, or with someone else. Here, I was beginning to run longer distances for training, and started enjoying running for more than just a sport, though still being very much caught up in the competition aspect of it all. My thoughts were consumed with times, distances, my thoughts were consumed with times, distances, and beating the person ahead of me. At the first track meet of the summer season, I remember not having too high of expectations. I did not know what to expect. It was unlike the usual high school meets, where your competition are fellow students from rival schools. Instead, the competitors were from all over the state. I was scheduled for two races during the first meet, the 800 meters and the 1500 meters, essentially a half and full mile run respectively. In both races, the field of competitors were the same, and towing the start line, I felt, judging from their appearance, that I could win. However, much to my displeasure, I lost both races by a considerable amount of time. Once again, I found myself asking what I had done wrong. Had I not trained or eaten well enough, what could I do to get faster? After that race, I went back again to the drawing board, determined to make it my goal to beat all of those runners who had just smoked me in those two races. From here, I began to run more often, and from my limited research, began developing a training plan that would typically see me train six days a week with one rest day. On training days by myself, I would usually run at home, taking a stroll down the dirt roads or hitting the trails that outlined our property. During these runs alone, I began to develop a love for running. It seems odd to love an activity that can be so difficult at times, but the effects of running on my life were undeniable. There is something special about running and even endurance sports in general. These types of activities are both challenging and rewarding at the same time. Running became an outlet for stress, stimulating every muscle in my body. It helped me to clear my mind, give me regular bowel movements. I have learned not everyone is so fortunate. Give me better sleep and help me maintain a healthy weight. As a young person in my late teens, running provided stability to my existence and gave me an identity that helped in all areas of my life, as I could be a runner at any time. The lessons I learned in running such as being able to endure a certain distance or pushing through the pain, I would in turn apply to my schoolwork in various other life situations, allowing me to continue improving in all areas of my life. With running, to be good, you must train. It can be difficult and challenging at times, as there are oftentimes harsh conditions or rough terrain, but it can also be carefree and enjoyable. In the end, there is always the running and that stays constant. I was able to apply this in life because I enjoyed learning new things and trying to improve myself. To do that, I had to keep running, or as it related to my schoolwork, I had to keep reading, studying, and reevaluating myself if I wanted to continue improving. As I began my senior year of high school, I also began to resign myself from many of my social friend groups at school and became much more of a loner. Essentially, an only child with my brother and sister off attending college, I was free to my own devices. This did not include much social activity on my part. On the occasions that I did hang out with my classmates, I would carry on surface-level conversations with them. I never really felt totally comfortable with my peers. Looking back, I'm not sure if this was fear on my part at being an outcast, general shyness, or just immaturity. I distinctly remember focusing most of my attention on all things running, and that did not leave a lot of time for much else in my life. I had shed the earlier nerdisms that I used to display publicly in the form of t-shirts and sci-fi novels, trading those items instead for running magazines race t-shirts, and gym shorts. Running, especially the way I approached it, 
was markedly different from pretty much everyone at my school. I lived and breathed cross-country, track and field, and racing outside of school. I wore a different race t-shirt to school each day and always had my nose buried deep in running magazines or running books. I remember delving deep into our library bookshelves, finding the only running books that were available, and soaking up the information they stored like a sponge, trying to unlock the keys of distance running that could propel me to either a state championship or a college athletic scholarship. There was probably a grand total of no more than 10 running-specific books at our library, and I voraciously studied them all. On the inside of each book, taped to the back cover, was a note card that had the name of everyone that had checked out that book since it was first issued at our school's library. I had thought myself special, then, when most of the books that I was reading had maybe one or two names in them, and they were at least 30 years old. This further strengthened my thought process that I was a loner. It was me, up against the world, focusing on achieving my dreams, and that because these aspirations were so vastly different from my peers, that I felt I just did not fit in with others at my school. In some ways, this was true, as not many people at my school understood the concept of endurance sports. I was the only person who ran several miles a day and who had ambitions to be an elite high school distance runner, or even more, to become a collegiate runner, or someday a professional. Where my sense of isolation displayed the most to me was during lunchtime breaks at school. 30-minute lunch periods were for grades 9 through 12 and were grueling to me, as I did not have a particular group of friends that I would sit with. My two options were to either sit with my classmates, whom I knew and could carry on casual conversations with, or sit with a few underclassmen, who were more interesting to talk to, but usually a little too goofy for me. Often, though, since I brought my lunch from home, when the lunch bell echoed through the hallways, I would slip away from the crowd of students that were marching to the lunchroom and sneak off to the, our school's gymnasium. Once clear of the masses and sure I was not being followed, I would then slip out of the back of the boys' locker room head out to the football field behind the school. After a short hike up the empty homeside stadium bleachers, I would find a spot at the top of the stadium and sit down to eat. I can vividly remember many times where I would get to my perch at the far corner of the bleachers and stare intently down at the open field below, just contemplating my life, with the midday sun beaming and a cool breeze reaching me at the height. On my mind constantly was the thought of trying to figure out just how I could become a professional runner, or at least a collegiate one. I continuously racked my brain for an adequate answer to the question, what do I want to do with my life? The only real things that spoke to me as something that I was truly passionate about were my experiences and appreciation of all things fandom and running. During my senior year of cross country, I made it all the way to the state finals for a second time. I had very high hopes coming into the last race of the season. However, I had already peaked the point when one reaches maximum endurance potential for a certain window of time about two weeks earlier at the regional finals, and I did not take the time to fully recover. I was someone who really enjoyed training and for races, and because of that, I tended to overindulge my intensity efforts during training sessions. In addition, I suffered a near debilitating back injury that flared up about a week before the race from overtraining that served to put my mind under a lot of stress thinking that I may not even be well enough to race. Back then, I was all about going out and hammering every run, and did not alternate between easy days and hard days. Nevertheless, at the state finals, I put up a decent result, placing fifth overall with a time of 16 minutes and 12 seconds. The sweet sub-16 eluded me by a mere 12 seconds. 12 seconds feels like an eternity when you are exhausted. I remember the feeling of seeing my dream slip away. The final two to 300 meters of the race was a one long straightaway. I could see the giant race clock the entire stretch, 
Second by second, the time slipped away. I saw my competitor surge ahead and was unable to respond. My legs were drained. All in all, the season was what, not what I hoped it would be. But I was proud of myself for coming back after our last year, almost two minutes faster, and placing much higher in the overall rankings. I took about two weeks off from running after that race, a much-needed respite, giving me plenty of time to analyze just what went wrong. After combing through various high school running results platforms, I stumbled across some, some video of the race and was able to observe myself running at various stages of the event. The first thing I noticed in the film was my appalling running form. The footage was shocking to me. I was able to see just how much my form faltered as the race went on. The main thing that really bothered me were my arms. One arm remained at a relatively comfortable 90 degree angle during the race, while the other arm and wrist flapped around uncontrollably. I immediately wanted to try and rectify the issue. So, on my very next run, I began to analyze my running form more fully. I ended up making some, what I would consider to be, massive changes to my overall running stride. For some reason, even after reading all of those running textbooks, I had not thought to address my own running form. I discovered that not only did my right arm flail and slip down as I got tired, but that my arm swung a bit too wide. I was also leading my stride from my feet, throwing my foot forward with each stride rather than leading with my upper thigh and knees. After making these changes, and always making a conscious effort to swing my arms evenly, I saw some improvements in my ability to maintain pace, charge up hills, and experience less injuries. With confidence in my newfound running form, I began to set my sights on the upcoming track and field season. In between that time, though, and during the final track season, I found myself having to face, in earnest, the inevitable question of, what in the world am I supposed to do after high school? Our school guidance counselor had tried to help us apply for colleges and scholarships, and they ended up applying to a few, two for running potentially, the University of West Florida and Clayton State University, as well as two schools for academic purposes, Flagler College and Chipola College. After seeing the things my brother went through as he was trying to navigate college life while still living at home, my goal was to get away, to go to college somewhere for running. I remember sitting on the rooftop of my childhood home, staring up at the stars, in tears, desperately wanting the dreams of pursuing running at college to come true. Looking back now, I'm not sure if I can totally, truly understand why I wanted it so badly. Maybe it was because it was all I had known, or the only thing I felt I was good at. Either way, then and now, I continued to love the sport, and can only think that my connection to running was just so pure then, that a life without it as my number one priority did not seem enjoyable. Academically, I was in line to be the class valedictorian. For me, that meant if I was going to go to Chipola College, then I would have the first two years of my school tuition paid for, free of charge. With my parents, unable to help pay for school, I saw this as my best option at the time. Before I could make that choice, though, I had to finish out my senior year. Because I had taken a few advanced placement classes during my 11th grade year and had already knocked out my foreign language credits, my senior year was essentially a formality. I only had two actual classes mixed up between some teacher's aid assignments as well as two free period physical education classes that were the beginning and ending of each day. While there was the option to take some beginner college courses at Chipola College, I found myself not wanting to make the 20-mile commute every day and saw it as a distraction from running. I elected to remain on the campus and enjoy my senior year, wanting to experience all that I could of senioritis. Looking back now, it was the right decision. It was more practical to get a jump start on college, but I am so thankful for all the free time that I had during my senior year 
to just be me, to have minimal, minimal responsibilities, and to focus on my hobbies. Maybe I was delaying the real world. There was a fear in me of not knowing what I was going to do after high school, and I channeled that fear into my running. I put all my free time into the sport. I felt that if I was ever going to have a shot running professionally, now was my opportunity. First period PE classes afforded me the opportunity to ride my bike to school and not have to worry about being sweaty during my first class. I would roll right into school and head straight to the gym. During my last period PE class, I would always check in for roll call and then slip out the back door of the boys' locker room to go train. I would often lace up my running shoes and run several miles before my actual track practice started in the late afternoon. It was such a fun time. I would start from the student parking lot, then leave campus. I don't think that I was officially allowed to do so. To run all over the city of Graceville. I discovered then that running was my favorite way to experience a place or destination. It was invigorating to immerse myself in an environment that I had grown up in, but never really experienced for myself. Usually I would just drive by the old downtown buildings and parks and not think twice about the history behind these places. On one of my runs, I discovered that our town had an outdoor racquetball court and subsequently took up the sport on my own, frequently playing for 30 minutes to an hour for fun before school started. The absence of close friends meant that it was up to me to find my own fun, and I was okay with that. Now, nearing the end of my senior year, I'm an adventurous, anxious, and impressionable 18-year-old just beginning to come to terms with the real world, and yet at the same time, trying my hardest to make my dreams a reality. After a somewhat disappointing cross-country season, I was more motivated than ever to come back in the spring for the track and field season. In the meantime, my track coach was able to secure two college visits for me. During both visits, my sense of the athletes with whom I would have been training with were a little disappointing as they did not seem all that into the sport themselves. The overall picture the visits painted was not quite as romantic as I had imagined. Even still, I wanted to go. However, another piece of the puzzle of adulthood that I was coming to grips with was money. Life is expensive, and both schools that I wanted to attend for running only offered me partial athletic scholarships. I remember one night saying to myself, I am going to figure out how I can pay for college on my own. I worked for about an hour or two on a workable budget and convinced myself that it was possible. However, after bringing up the idea to my parents, I could see right away that there was no way it could happen unless I took out some sort of student loan. The student loan path was not only fraudulent with difficulties and the fear of the unknown, but at the same time, my heart also wanted to make a rational decision and not be broke as well. As life went on, I trained harder than I ever had that season. I became a vegetarian, focused on my strength training, and consumed running media. I once again made it to the state finals to battle against the best the state had to offer in the 1,600-meter and 3,200-meter disciplines. The mile was the first event up for me. My time going to the, into the race was a solid 4 minutes and 26 seconds, which, if I would have run that on the day, I could have won the race. Instead, I followed the pace set by the pack and was outsprinted at the end. I remember that feeling of defeat well. After having trained so hard for so long and being at the end of all those years of running, my heart had gone out of the sport. Fear had consumed me. Fear of going all in. I tried to keep it all together and stay within my abilities instead of just going for it. And that was my downfall. In both races, I had managed to finish in a decent result. But even before those races began, my season had ended a few weeks prior at the regional meet where I had put all my effort into the race to try and make it to the finals. Something happened between that race and the state finals. Maybe it was because, on paper, I knew I was slower than the other top athletes by several seconds. 
I had really peaked prior to that race, or mentally I knew that my dream of becoming a collegiate runner was not going to happen. Either way, at the state finals, I was not at my best. It is a tough thing to lose and have everyone that cares about you there watching you fail. Maybe they did not see it that way, but I did. I had to watch my parents in the stands watch me lose. It did not feel great. Later, as my parents picked me up after the meet, we all stayed in the city of Jacksonville another night rather than driving home, and I had my first cut of meat in several months that night at dinner. I felt that I had earned it after such a long process of eating, healthy, and training. Overall, it did not feel worth it, eating the meat for one, and all the hard work and sacrifice that had went into the training. Coming off that loss, there were just a few months of school left, and I decided to play it safe and accept the offer from Chipola College to have my first two years of school paid for. Along with that, came the responsibility of being the valedictorian, which essentially just meant I got to sit at the front of the class during the graduation ceremony and also give a short commencement speech. The speech was something that I had heard whispers about, but figured that if I did not mention it to anyone, maybe everyone would just forget. About a week before the graduation ceremony, one of my teachers asked how my speech was going, and I sheepishly avoided the subject, saying, I would get to work on it. Too late. I was locked in. After school that day, I sat down for a few hours of tedious writing and tried to create something that I sounded official and inspiring. I remember thinking that I had no good advice from my peers. There was nothing I could say that would invigorate them post-high school. I eventually turned out a two-page speech that was overall quite terrible. However, there was nowhere to run, I wish, and time was up. With limited rehearsals and only one proofread, I handed the speech over to my teachers and presented it on the day with the Barack Obama Senate-style pacing. I was so nervous that I could only get out a few words at a time. Once it was over, I got my diploma, shook a few hands, and hopped in the car to make my drive home as an official high school graduate. On that drive, I knew many of my family members were at my parents' home waiting for me to get there. I remember taking the dirt road there that night and wanting to stretch the time out, so moments you cannot get back. It felt as though graduation was a large step in an enormous and ever-evolving chain of events that was my life. Nonetheless, I gave in to the night and enjoyed a nice evening with my family, devouring a healthy dose of cake, ice cream, and hot dogs. I then had the summer to get prepped for college. I have very few distinct memories at this time. The only thing that I remember doing a lot of was cycling. After track season ended and some time had passed for me to come to terms with not running in college, I began to ride my bike more and more and investing much of my time in tackling longer and longer distances by myself. A solo 40 to 50 mile ride was an easy challenge for me. I also began riding with a local group out of the nearby town in Dothan, Alabama, which is about 25 minutes away. I was trying to do something to distract me from my life without competitive running and needed an outlet for my restless mind that was constantly worrying about my next life step. Those first few years of college were the toughest years that I have ever experienced emotionally, and I eventually found myself in a desolate place. To grow from my past, I'd have to forget everything that I had learned if I was going to figure out just who it was I wanted to be. Now at 27, I am more confident in the person that I am and feel that the experiences I went through in high school served a pivotal role in getting me to this very spot. As I ambled into the common area of the group lodge building, I am greeted by silence. It takes me a moment to notice there are a few people on the far end of the room. The rest of the large room is littered with running swag on tables, race snacks, boxes of race gear stacked high, and several types of sports drinks. I casually announce myself and ask if I'm in the right place to check in for the race. With casual ease, a 
lady sits aside her lunch that she was slowly nibbling on and ambles over to help me. I tell her my name and she pulls up my information. She lets me know that I am assigned the race number 322 and hands over the, my race bib that I am to wear tomorrow as well as a blue cold weather beanie adorned with the park logo and race title. I park above the clouds, a race above them all. I smirk to myself about the race motto, then bid the volunteers farewell. Before leaving the start area, I decide to take a short tour of the immediate area surrounding the group lodge to get an idea for what I am in for tomorrow. Things like bathroom locations and the best parking place become critical intel on the early race day morning. And as many details as I can cross off my mental checklist, the better. Walking over to the inflatable race arch, I notice several athlete tents that are set up. These tents are filled by the runner's crew members, who are busily keeping themselves occupied until their man or woman will come by the aid station. They must be ready to give their runner all the food, water, and pep talks they can muster at a moment's notice. There is a warm fire radiating a gentle heat in the open air, as well as a light music playing over the PA system, creating a calm atmosphere. The group lodge is the epicenter of the whole race. Out on the course, people are literally putting themselves through the ultimate test of physical and mental endurance, and yet here, at the eye of the storm, everything seems very chill. With enough sightseeing of the race start and finish area, I slip back into my car and make a short drive down the service road to explore some of the park's trail systems and see what all the fuss is about this park above the clouds. (laughs) 